Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Let me talk to you about a, a, a book. It's called Colossians. Have you ever, if you're a reader, have you ever picked up a book that's hard to put down? Now, some books we have to really work at, right? You got to kind of wade through it. But Colossians chapter 1, even though we've been reading in our daily Bible reading through Isaiah and through Titus and Timothy, uh, Colossians chapter 1 is one of those books for me. I have been reading this chapter for about three weeks over and over and over again. So because I can't get it out of my head, you get to hear about it today. But before I get there, let me tell you a story about the Revolutionary War. There was a pastor by the name of Pastor Peter Miller. He happened to be close friends with a guy by the name of George Washington. And Peter Miller had what we would call an enemy. His name was Michael Widman, W-I-D-M-A-N. And so Peter Miller would sometimes be out in the streets and Michael Whitman would come up and spit in his face. Or he'd push him in a crowd. And one time in the middle of the marketplace on a busy Saturday, Michael Whitman punched out Pastor Peter Miller in front of everyone for no reason, apparently. Well, Michael Whitman went to trial for treason against the United States. And guess what happened to him? He was tried and convicted and sentenced to death. So Pastor Peter Miller walked 50 miles to Valley Forge to go in front of George Washington and plead for Michael Whitman. And so Washington said, well, why are you here pleading for your friend? He said, my friend, he's my number one enemy. I'm here to tell you that he's not guilty of treason. Hmm. And you walked 50 miles for an enemy of yours? He said, absolutely. And with that, George Washington said, we will let him go. And we will give you, Pastor Peter Miller, his life. For today, your plea has saved his life from the death sentence. So as they went back, to their town, the two of them became friends. But what we learned in that simple story is that's called reconciliation. That's called taking an enemy and making them a friend. And by the way, if you have read your Bible, and I know many of you have, you understand that all of us are classed as enemies of God. And God has come to reconcile us That's what we see over and over again in the first chapter of the book of Colossians. And if you have a Bible, you'll want to turn there. You might make some marks on it. There's some notes that you have as well. When you are in Christ, all that is true of him changes what is true of you. Let me just say it again. That's free with the price of admission. When you come to Christ. All that is true of him changes all that is true of you. His righteousness changes the fact that we're sinners. That's true of us. 
The fact that some of us feel that we're not loved by God. What's true of him is that for God so loved the world, he gave his son, and everyone Jesus encountered, he loved. And people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, and loved Jesus, he is the reconciler at every point. So before we dive into Colossians, let me tell you why Paul is making a stand here. He's standing against the culture. He's standing against the Gnosticism of his day in Colossians chapter 1. He's going to talk about Jesus who's the creator of all things, the reconciler of all things that he created. Why? Because the Gnostics believed and they were influencing the church at Colossae to start to believe it also. That their popular opinion was so popular and so strongly opinionated, they were starting to believe it even though it was not true. What did they believe? They believed that all created matter was evil. Molecules and cells were evil. Flesh was evil. And they believed that God created nothing. He actually had his intermediaries create. So God told some intermediaries, you go and create things. But because those creators wanted to be far away from that which was evil, the tangible, they hired other people and deputized other people down the line so they could be far removed from them who would actually touch the evil thing. So in Genesis, when God creates man, they believe it wasn't God himself, but an appointed intermediary who did it. So now we enter Jesus Christ, who is born of a virgin, who is flesh, therefore she's evil, and therefore, the Christ child himself had to be evil. Even though he was kind of God, this is what the Gnostics said, kind of God, but not fully God, because he couldn't be if he was in an evil container. Because remember, all matter, all cells, all skin, all flesh is deemed to be evil. Therefore... Jesus Christ had to be evil too. And you and I are smart enough to know if he was evil, he couldn't be our sinless savior. He who was without sin is the one who died on the cross for us. Good theology. But the Gnostics had a twisted, bent kind of theology. And if you look at our world today, the challenges to our faith, the distractions from true authority to what we feel being more important than truth. So here's the fact. The fact is we need to be transformed we all need to be changed, and we get to be rescued by a reconciler. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 12, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Why? He wants this church to be strong in the midst of a world and culture that's distracting from what is truth. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of what you feel about life, the knowledge of, well, do what you want to do. You're free to be who you want to be. No, no, no. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the spirit, which spirit are we talking about, you know? The, the Holy Spirit gives you 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Could it be that Paul is not just speaking to this group at Colossae, but he's speaking down the corridors of time to LFC in person and online? Could it be that he is allowing this prayer to somehow by the power of the spirit to go from there to here and then to now that you and I would grow in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. In other words, you don't give up in the battle that you're in. You don't let your guard down. You understand that there's a God who's greater than anything and everything that we face even greater than popular opinion, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Isn't it interesting? He calls them holy people. Why? Because the Gnostics thought that all the people were unholy and could never get holy because they're part of what? The created matter. Now, he goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have, what does it say? Redemption, the forgiveness of some of your sins. No, all of your sins. He's speaking to people who believed there was no redemption available. He's speaking to a church that was starting to get uh, an understanding that the world was bringing to them. Hey, you can't be redeemed. But I love this. As Matthew records in Matthew 121, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from all of their sins, every sin imaginable. And that name Jesus means God saves, God delivers, God rescues. Back to Colossians 1:15, 16, the son is the image of the invisible God. Remember, they were questioning, could Jesus really be God? Because now he's in the flesh. And then Paul says, he is the firstborn over all creation. They had issues with creation. And he said, Jesus is above all creation, for in him all things were made. No intermediary. No middleman. All things were created Things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and now he goes for the juggler. And everything created is for him. <gasps> we think all created things are, are evil. Everything is horrible. God didn't do all this. No, no, no. No, no, Paul says, listen, listen. You make sure you understand Jesus made everything, and he made everything for himself. That flies in the face of popular opinion at the church of Colossae. So if you're a note taker and you got notes and you want to fill them in because you won't feel good if you don't, write this down. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Even though the Gnostics were wrong. Even though the earth, they believe, was hostile towards God. John 14, 9, Jesus says something profound. If anyone has seen me, they have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm him. 
Uh, the Greeks had the word icon. We know what an icon is, a brand, an image. If you look at the icon of Jesus, you get to see what God is like. In Greek literature, the word was logos, a word, a spoken word. And we know John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Greeks understood what John was writing about. We get the word. We got the word. Who's the word? It is Jesus himself. And when God said, let there be light, and he spoke the word in creation, he was actually speaking, catch this, Jesus out of his mouth. Let there be light. What did Jesus say? I am the, I'm the light of the world. He's speaking Jesus in creation. Somebody said, well, what was he doing when he, when he breathed into the dirt and made man? He was breathing the breath of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity has been active in creation and sustaining creation since the beginning of time. We don't get one without the other. You don't get saved without the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes, he brings the Holy Spirit. When you, I worship you, Jesus, guess who's right there with him? And then guess who comes along? God the Father. They all show up. And there is no struggle. I mean, you never hear God the Father say, how come there's a cross in every church Reminiscent of my son on the cross. God is not jealous. Isn't that great? There's no power struggle in heaven. And we know in the past, Hebrews 1, 1 says that God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his what? By his son. And Paul says in Colossians 1 that God's son is God. And when you see him, you Understand, he created all things. He's the exact representation of who God is. You want to know what God is like? Just read stories about Jesus in the Bible. And then you won't be surprised when you get to heaven, you look in the face of God, say, I, I, I know about you. And if God were to say, well, how do you know about me? Because I, I, I paid attention to who your son was and what he did and how he lived. For in him, number two, Jesus, all things were created. And the third thing is that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Um, Psalm 19, 1, you could just jot this down. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Everything was made by Jesus. And like the old kitty song said, and everything God made was good. Well, not really. The Gnostics are right in one sense. When God made humankind, we turned out bad. Go back to the fall. But God has redeemed us all through Jesus and made redemption available. So back to Colossians chapter 1. All you Bible scholars, 15 and 17, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And, and, and Paul says, understand, this Jesus is the firstborn in other words, nothing was born without him, and he existed before the first thing was created. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Right there was Jesus, and he's the firstborn over it all. And notice what this goes on to say. And he is, would you read the rest with me, please? He is before all things, and in him all things. Hey, question. Practical question. What holds you together? 
What holds you together? Well, my, my friends. Oh, that's nice. What holds you together? Uh, this really cool show on Netflix. <laughs> what holds you together? Uh, barbecue. What, what holds you together? Wine. What holds you together? Cannabis. What holds you together? Can I give you the answer? It's supposed to be Jesus. Now, I'm not against any of those things I mentioned. Don't send me an email. I had enough this year. <laughs> Folks, Paul is telling us something very profound. This is a church that had the popular opinion coming against us. This was a church that was starting to believe things that weren't true or biblical. And Paul comes to them and says, look, I know the one who's the firstborn over all creation. I know that he made everything. I know that he reconciled everything to himself. And I know that he holds you together. When you feel like giving up, when the prognosis is not good, when you're depressed, when darkness overtakes your soul, I know what holds people together. And I'm going to raise my hand. You don't have to raise yours. And say, I know what's held me together for 15 months. I know what's held business owners together for 15 months. I know people who've, who've gotten through for 15 months. I know people who've gotten through the last 10 years of their life because of one thing, and that's the power of Jesus that holds people together. Hey, it's good to have friends. It's good to have recreation. It's good to have beautiful weather like today or donuts when you come to church. Yay! But what holds us together? I pray and hope that you go to Jesus and run to him when everything falls apart. He will still be there for you. Amen. Colossians 1, 18 to 20, and he's the head of the body, the church. Thank God. Thank God. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Wait a minute. He's the firstborn of creation. Now he's the firstborn among the dead? Huh. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the, what does it say? All his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Remember they said all things are evil? Not when Jesus is around. He can turn everything and make it good. He can redeem any, anything or anyone. Someone says, yeah, but, but we just got to love everybody for right where they are. We just love them, see them, acknowledge them, stand with them and for them. Great. Go right ahead. And then what? Then tell him, God loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. <sighs> and have them walk into a place called freedom. Have them walk into a place called reconciliation. Have them walk into a place where they're living out the truth of God in and through their lives, no matter what. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. Remember what they were saying? Jesus must be evil, kind of, sort of, because he's He's in the flesh, but Paul says, wait a minute. God took this sinless one in the flesh and allowed him to be the reconciler of all things and all people. 
because he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Many people believe Colossians chapter 1 is the first hem ever written. Our early church fathers believe the first stanza the first stanza was Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. The second stanza or the second verse was Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. By the way, Jesus rose from the dead, but he's not the only one. Jairus's daughter, remember? Lazarus, a couple famous ones. But Jesus is the only one that rose from the dead and didn't die again. That's really cool. Lazarus died again. Did you know that? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he, he did the Lazarus hop, came out of the tomb, and he's alive. And then a little while longer, Lazarus died. Jesus died, rose again, and never died again. And you guys know this story that there was a day that he ascended back up into the heavens, having not died. And by the way, he's still alive today. Did you know that? Yes, you do. He's alive today. And the first stanza, we see Jesus created all things. And the second stanza, we see that he redeemed all things and reconciled all things. So what do we know about Jesus? He's a proven savior. He's the reconciler. And Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, don't you dare be fooled by what people are saying, expressing themselves and trying to make sure that you do not believe in Jesus Christ fully and wholly. Perfect who died. What do we believe about Jesus? Well, the end of verse 19, Colossians 1, 18 and 19 tells us that the fullness of God dwells in him. I just want to declare to you today that I fully, wholeheartedly love Jesus. I make no apologies or excuse. I believe he's the only way to God. He's the truth. He's the life. No one gets to God but through him. So I talked to a gentleman not too long ago who said um, he, he believes in God. I said, good. The next question I had for him was, could you define which God you believe in? He said, well, not that God of the Bible, all that fable stuff. I, I just believe in a divine God. And I believe he can be whatever you want him to be because... He's created us with creativity and imagination. So God can be anything he wants to be for you. And I was looking at him and I loved him. I accepted what he said. But then I loved him so much that I wanted him to hear the truth. I think you would want me to share that. Just like I would want you to share that with someone. And I said, well, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because that's how he was called in the Old Testament. Because there was a lot of gods back then. They worshipped all kinds of statues and, and golden calves and you name it. God would even deliver Israel from a group of people that were holding them captive. God would give them victory. And then those Israelites would actually start worshipping the God, the idols of those he delivered them from. It's kind of weird. And so I told this gentleman, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I, I said, I believe in the God of the Holy Scriptures. B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And he said, well, you have your right to believe what you want to believe. And I said, so do you. But I know the God that I believe in. I, I'm persuaded that he's able to hold me against that day when I stand before God and all the sins that I've committed, all the wrong that I've done, all the people I've hurt, all the people who hurt me. 
that I will stand before God someday, and because of the grace of Jesus Christ, my Savior, that I believe in, I will be redeemed, I will be reconciled, and I will follow the one who's the firstborn from the dead, who made sure that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, emphasis on death for a moment, and was able to rise into a holy place, and he's the one that will cause us to rise into a holy place, and he will wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no sadness, no sorrow, no death, no disease, no more taxes, hallelujah, because of who he is. What is he? He's the fullness of God, and it's found in him. And I just want to tell you this, the Gnostics at the Church of Colossae were wrong. That this God was an amazing God, and Colossians 1.20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's still making peace for people that would believe him. And I will tell you this. I've talked recently to about 29 pastors of different denominations all around the place. I said, what's the number one thing the church needs to do right now? And they said, well, number four, number three, number two. But we went, all got on number one. Number one was to make sure we clearly and succinctly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can give you five methods on how to pray more and five ways on how husbands should love their wives more. And all of that's good. We've done that for years here. But we all came to this conclusion that people really need to understand that a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, fueled and filled by the Holy Spirit, and based on the Word of God, is what people need today like never before. I believe that. I I will keep believing that. Yeah, but pastor, don't be so emphatic about it. No, excuse me, I will be emphatic about it. I've been on too many deathbeds. I've I've seen too many people in the last minutes and hours of their life over the years as a pastor and a chaplain. I, I have. And what do you give them? Hey, however you feel is fine with me. Whatever you believe about God is fine with me. Are you kidding me? In their last moments of life, you want to make sure that they know who Christ is. Because in a moment, they're going to eternity. It doesn't matter if they live to be 88 or 98 or 108. They're going to go stand before the God of heaven and all the purity that is there. And how are they ever going to enter eternal life? Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what Colossians 1 is all about. To make sure that people know that there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus. The fullness of God was living in him. So Jesus can change us no matter what our life situation. He can give us peace, hope, and joy in the most desperate circumstances. Good news? I believe it is. So before we, we, we close out, we'll sing a song and then we'll hear a couple things we need to know about what's happening. Don't forget to mark your calendars. 4th of September. St. Corinthians. This is the same Paul who wrote Colossians chapter 1 that I can't stop reading. St. Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, would you read the rest with me? The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is where? Here. 
All of this from God who reconciled us to himself. Let me ask you a question. If we're okay the way we are, then why do we need a reconciler? If we can be born and live however we want and embrace whatever truth we want, why would we even need a reconciler? Because we are sinners. Good morning. Somebody just bumped their their spouse. Yes, you are. You're a sinner. You are too, and you just sin by pointing out, right, the speck in their, your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own. Anyway, through Christ, and give us the ministry of, hey, by the way, let me ask you this question. On a day we celebrate freedom and independence, are you a reconciler? When you talk about people, when you talk to people, are your words words of reconciliation? Hey, let me tell you the latest story about John. Let me tell you the latest story about Shirley. Do you know? Did you hear about? I heard about Shirley too. It's not on Facebook. It's got to be true. Yeah. No. Do we speak words of reconciliation to people? No. I, I, it's a tall order. My hands up. I need help with this. Do, do, we, do we just stop and say, God, give me the ministry of reconciliation? By the way, that's what we're called to do. And we are committed, watch, to the message of reconciliation. What is the word message? What we say, how we live, how we treat others. We are therefore Christ. Come on. We are therefore Christ. What is it? Ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's, next slide, behalf. And here's our message. Get ready. Let's say it. Be, when was the last time you looked into somebody's face and said, be reconciled to God? That's your sermon. I didn't make that up. The Bible says it. We all have a ministry. of No, ministry is what pastors do. No, 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 no. He's, he's talking to people who have been born again, made new. We have a ministry and a message of reconciliation. I implore you with everything that I have to tell you to be bold and be strong and look in the eyes of somebody and said, you're not free till Christ sets you free. Yeah, but I live in the land of the free, the home of the, well, quasi-brave. No, 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 no. You are, you are free when Christ sets you free. And there's a freedom and a joy in knowing Christ, the one who holds us all together. And I long for the day that family and friends, people that you know and care about, just throw their lives over the line and say, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if it was because of your message, which is God's message? There it is. Be reconciled to God. Could you practice this? It's four words. Let's practice it. Be reconciled to God. There's your sermon. It's shorter than mine. Be reconciled to God. Somebody walks up to you and says, well, but I believe it. Let me, you go ahead and tell me what you believe. Then I'm going to tell you what I believe. And here it is. Be reconciled to God. And then when they say, how do you do that? You show them the message of salvation. And if you're lost and don't know where to go, just go to John chapter 3. It works really great. The story of Nicodemus and then John 3, 16 and 17. God didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He didn't want to point out everything that's wrong that you do. You, you are wrong. He already knows that. What does he want to do? He wants to save you 
For he so loved you that he gave his only son. All you got to do is believe in him and you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Be reconciled to God. The old is cut off and the new has come because a life touched by God always ends in touching other lives. If you've been touched by God, that's what you're to do with your life. Remember this, and then we'll have communion. You and I are the only sermon that some people will ever hear. Your life and the way you talk is the only worship some people will ever hear. Your life is the only truth that some people will ever listen to. You, what you say. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And get this one. You're the only Jesus that some people will ever get to see. It's you. Given the ministry of reconciliation. So, a man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. He was way down in the pit. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down into the pit. A Christian scientist came by and said, you only think you're in a pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people end up in a pit. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. The fundamentalist came and said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you had only listened to me, you would not even be in that pit. And Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. And a realist said, now that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary pounds per square inch to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata of the pit. An evolutionist said, you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, he's going to die in the pit so that he cannot produce any pit-falling offspring. The construction inspector said, you got a permit for the pit? The property tax assessor came along and figured out the taxes he'd owed on the pit. The professor gave a lecture on the pit, the elementary pits, pitfalls of life. A self-pitying person said, you ain't seen nothing until you see my pit. The prosperity preacher said, just confess over and over, I'm not in a pit, I'm not in a pit, I'm not in a pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, had compassion upon him, didn't even mention his pit, just simply reached down with his hand and pulled him out and put his feet on a solid rock because that's what Jesus does best. Would you take um, the cup that you were given, this holy, wonderful, self-contained cup, <laughs> and on the bottom, if you pull the flap, the bread will fall out. Isn't that cool? We can hold this bread in our hands. If the Gnostics near the Church of Colossae were here, they would say, don't touch this. It's evil. 
but we know it represents the body of Christ that was pure and holy given for us. And when you think about freedom, and you think about Independence Day, we think about our dependence upon Jesus who died on a cross so we could be free. And so we say, Lord, as we eat this bread, thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the body that you took on yourself so that we could be free. And if there are any in here who've yet to make you their Lord and Savior, I pray this would be their day where they would say, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to reconcile my life and to give me freedom. And if you're struggling with things in your life right now where you need the, the God of miracles to provide for you, to touch your body, to give you help with your resources and your finances, and to open a job for you, whatever it might be in the tangible where you need God to touch you, I would pray that you would just pray that right now. Lord, meet my need according to your riches and glory. Because when you died on the cross, you made us whole by your stripes, we're healed. And the greatest healing of all is that you healed us from our sins. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We say thank you, Lord, for your body. Thank you for the cross. Let's eat together. And then the Bible says that he took the cup. And when he raised it up, he said, this is the way that we will do business now, the new covenant in my blood. And because of the shedding of his blood, we can be forgiven and reconciled. If you have a sin to confess, just tell him, whisper to him, Lord, here's my sin. I present it to you. And I ask you, Lord, even as I drink this cup, that you would forgive me. It would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we love you. In the words of Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body now on earth but our body. No hands but our hands. No feet but our feet. Ours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out at this world. Ours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And ours are the hands with which he is to bless his people as we take on the ministry of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.